0: Thanks for listening to the Granary Church podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at the Granary Church. Around our family, we have a little joke, and it goes a little bit like this it's just a saying, and it's this um, I took offense. Uh, And and when somebody says it in our family, uh, everyone has a little giggle because we were once at a youth camp and this youth camp happens in summertime and uh, there's a whole bunch of water sports there. It's at a dam about 200 kilometres north of uh, Newcastle. And at this camp, the kids come um, and they do water sports. So they do uh, sailing and swimming and power boats. And it's a great time. But at this camp, it's not just about the water sports. There's also a Jesus element. There's there's an opportunity to do Bible teaching and and, and groups. But on the Friday night uh, is one of the best moments in the whole camp. So on this one particular night, when all the kids were getting up to tell their testimonies, one of the leaders got up. His name was Bruce, and he got up and gave his testimony in the midst of all the kids giving their testimonies. And his story went a little bit like this, that when he was in youth group as about a 13-year-old, he'd been going to the local youth group, uh, but he would muck up a fair bit uh, and he would do all sorts of things that would drive the youth leaders crazy. So the youth leader sat him down and the youth leader said to him, look, if you're going to muck around, I'm going to give you a bit of a timeout from youth group. Well, Bruce didn't hear a timeout from youth group. He heard that he was being kicked out. And so Bruce left the youth group. He left the church. And in about year seven or eight, never really went back to church again. And as he told his story, he talked about how he really, in his heart, he took offense against that youth leader and he took offense against uh, the church and against God and basically turned his back on God. But as he got up to tell his story that night, he did in his broad Australian accent say, I took a fence. And so my kids thought that was hilarious uh, because it was just, it sounded funny that he'd taken a fence with him wherever he went. An actual physical fence they thought was funny. But that night as I listened to that testimony, it wasn't funny for me. See, I was that youth leader who 20 years beforehand had said to Bruce, if you're going to keep riding your bike through the middle aisle of church, and it was a long aisle, and he'd, he'd, he'd come in with his bike and he'd do a big skid right down the center aisle and leave a black mark. And I was the youth leader, had to try and explain that to the parish council. Well, there's all sorts of things that he'd muck around. So I sat him down and I said to him, man, you need to think about your behavior. But what he'd heard from me was that you've got to go. And so as he got up to tell this testimony, something like 20 years later, while he's in his, in his mid-30s, I just sat there and and was broken as he told a story of how he had been offended in his heart, but how God had done a new work in his heart and it dawned on me the power of offence. How powerful is offence to take us off course with God? It's like one of the biggest threats to God's purposes. And as we think about in this series, we can transform a nation. It's been burning on my heart for a couple of weeks now that there is something that can really take us off track from allowing God to use us to transform a nation. And as that, that is this idea of offense. Now, last week in the morning services, celebrations, Pastor Paul spoke about this idea of offense. And I was sitting down there in the front row and thinking, oh my goodness, that's what I want to speak about next week. Uh, and I was thinking, should I or should I not? But then as I Monday morning was thinking about it, I felt a Holy Spirit saying to me, yeah, I want you to be on this subject as well, to double up in some ways. And so I come to you today with a word that's been burning on my heart around this idea that God wants to transform our nation, but he can only do it when our hearts are not full of offense towards people or towards him or towards anything. So come with me on a journey this morning as we look at a character in the Bible who struggled with this idea of unforgiveness, offense, and revenge. You'll know today as you listen that you're in good company if you've ever been in a place where you've struggled with unforgiveness, you've struggled with offense, or you've struggled with revenge. The story picks up in Genesis. The Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And basically where we find our story is this, that God has created humans and he created them perfect. And he created for him to rule over them. But these humans, these first humans decided they wanted to rule over themselves. So they decided to self-rule and God separated them from God. But God says there's going to come a time where a human will come... And that human will restore everything. And his name is Jesus. And so the Old Testament really follows this story of where the humans go out on their own. And God says there's a seed coming. There's a human coming who will restore all things. And so the Old Testament traces this idea of threats against this seed, this line, this lineage, this genealogy of which God is going to use. And so we pick the story up where there's been a whole bunch of external threats there's been violence in the family. There's been a flood against the family. And, and even now, there's been a famine against the family. And so we pick up the story here. There's been about nine years since God has spoken through a dream to Joseph. And in that dream, he said, you're going to have seven years of feast in which the harvest will be full. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so we get to about the second year of the famine and something happens and everything runs out. The food runs out in all the nations around Egypt. The food runs out. There's nothing in the supermarket. Now, if you this week have been down to Woolies or to any of your local supermarkets here in Australia, it's Woolies, um, you will have struggled to find even toilet paper. If you've been there this week, you'll see that there's no toilet paper in, in the aisles. And even of yesterday, there's no meat. But imagine, and we've we've had these conditions like this for maybe a week or two in Australia. It's happening all around the world right now. Uh, But could you imagine the second year of that happening? You're up to about year two, it's happening. So Joseph's brothers decide that it's time to go down to Egypt. And off they go because Egypt had Joseph, they'd stored grain, and now they were selling grain to other people. And so we get to this place in the story where we get to chapter 44, And I'm going to read from the NIV now. And if you'd like to, you can just follow along wherever you are in your lounge room or wherever you are listening today. Now, Joseph gave these instructions to the stewards of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone too far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for denovation? This is a wicked thing you've done. When he caught up with them, he repeated those words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver we found inside the mouth of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of the servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become the Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave the rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered their sack onto the ground and opened it. And then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. As we read that story today, you might just think, oh, I've heard that story a few times before. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it, or maybe you've heard it many times. And you hear it and you just think, yeah, that's just part of a story. I've heard this many times and it sort of washes over you. But it's an interesting thing. Maybe when the first listeners listened to this story as it was passed down from generation to generation, they didn't really see a problem with what was happening either because they were used to this ethos of an eye for an eye. In the Old Testament, in, um, in Exodus chapter 21, we, we see this idea expressed that as part of the code of how a society worked was that... Um, it was an eye for an eye. If you did something that caused trouble, then you'd be expected to pay that back. And so that's a little bit of the ethos and the way that people thought in the time. So as they're hearing this story, they're not necessarily thinking anything here is untoward. But if you tried to go to an ethics committee today and said, I've got a plan, and that plan is to entrap somebody by putting silver cup into their sack without them knowing and then arrest them for it, you'd probably have trouble getting that past the ethics committee. See, sometimes when we read a story many times, we don't quite understand what's happening. But here in this passage, after many chapters of hearing the story of Joseph, and Joseph has been uh, sterling up to this point. He has, he has been in jail and kept a good attitude. He's been sold by his brothers and he's kept a good attitude. And he's been falsely accused of uh, rape or adultery and he's kept a good attitude. All of a sudden, this Joseph sets a trap for his brothers. He sets a trap. He could have said, To his brothers. Just simply, hey, I'm actually your brother. Go get your dad. Come down to Egypt. Live here. We'll survive the famine together. But he didn't. For some reason, something is happening in his heart. There's a stirring. There's a battle. There's there's something going on in his heart that he would cause a trap to be set for his brothers. And then he gets to the face-to-face test. It's this idea that um, I'd be very surprised if he didn't know that his brothers would be coming at some stage. From the moment he had the dream and and God put him in second in charge of Egypt and he knew that he was going to build barns and and storage grain houses, I'd be very surprised if he didn't at some point think to himself every nation on the earth is going to come and ask for our grain. I'd be very surprised if he didn't daydream about the day when his brothers would turn up. He would have thought about it at various times and maybe dreamed about what he'd do. And maybe he wrestled with what he'd do. And maybe he wrestled with these ideas of unforgiveness or revenge or offense, because we see him setting a trap, which seems to go very much against how he behaves in the chapters up to this point. And it's quite fascinating. But if you've ever been in a place where somebody's offended you, this face-to-face test is very real. Um, in about 2007, our family was going across. We were living in Sydney at the time, and we were planning to go to Denver, Colorado, to do some training there. And we had been processing with our, the assistant pastor in our church that we we're going to go, and just sort of seeking permission, really processing that that we we're going to go. And um, what we didn't know was that the assistant minister hadn't really talked to the senior minister about it. It must have just fallen off the uh, must have just fallen off the radar. And so our final. Sunday came around at church and our senior minister heard for the first time that we were leaving. He wasn't really, really impressed. So later that night, I got a phone call from him. And for about 47 minutes, he said some of the worst things I've ever had anyone say to me ever, Um, just about my inability to hear God's voice and how I was going to destroy the family. And it was a really painful time. And for the next little while, we soon got on. I I was devastated, but we got on the plane and we went to Denver, Colorado. And in my mind, I was a little bit okay. I processed it, that I probably wouldn't see this guy again. So it was okay. A couple of years roll by, been processing it, getting prayer ministry, all those sort of things. We're heading to Hillsong Conference. And for the first time in a couple of years, it dawned on me that I might run in face to face with that pastor. And all of a sudden, all the thoughts and the feelings and the struggles that I thought I had dealt with started to just bubble up in my heart. And it was like this moment where I had to really, again, decide that I was not going to be offended because I was preparing myself for a face-to-face meeting. And here's Joseph. After years of thinking about his brothers, probably many times releasing forgiveness, he has this face-to-face encounter where he again has to work through the devastating feelings of what's happened, and he struggles. You see, offence is a little bit like a trap. In fact, the, the word in the original text is trap. And offense can trap us in a place. In fact, the little trigger in a trap is the same word as that's in the Old Testament. I was watching some videos on YouTube a little while ago and as you do, you sort of maybe spend a little bit too much time on there and you start watching this video and in this video. And I was watching these videos of, of all things, um, pigs getting trapped in a trap. And, um, and so there's, there's this, they, the people in the video, thanks Grace, built this, um, built this trap and uh, they had the, the gate raised and the pigs would come in and then go around and go around. And finally, they would drop the trap and all the pigs would go crazy and they were trapped and they knew they were done for. Bec- and that's the same word that offense is. See, what happens often is in our offense, we try to set a trap for somebody else. But what actually happens is it actually traps our heart. And so offense has the ability to trap and trigger our hearts in a way that we're not supposed to be. So in this story, as it continues on, Joseph is looking for something in his brothers. He's looking for something. And as he's looking for this thing, he wrestles with this idea of offense. So we jump back into the text right now to see what he's looking for. So we continue verse 13 down to 17. Genesis 44. And just remember, they've just opened all the sacks and the cup is in Benjamin's sack, which means Benjamin is going to become Joseph's slave. At this, they tore their clothes. They all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and all the brothers came in and then they drew themselves, threw themselves on the ground before him. Joseph said to him, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find out things by denovation? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the ones who found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who has found to have the cup will be my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. It's a really interesting thing that happens in this this passage. And and in some ways, it's really a dangerous thing that Joseph is doing. He's actually looking for a particular response from his brothers, I think, as you read the passage. And he gets it in verse 13. In verse 13, the brothers uh, all together see that their youngest brother, which the father loved, in which they had begged to take him down to Egypt, they all tore their clothes as one. It's interesting, if you watch um, the movie that was out in, in 2000 called Joseph, uh, King of Prince of Dreams, there's a scene in it where the brothers come before Joseph in this very scene, and their clothes look really well put together. But really, if we to understand this passage, the clothes are completely torn. And there's this sort of ripping idea, and it's just like, this idea of they tear their clothes. It's a powerful sound and it's, um, it's really hard to fix as well. Uh, my mother-in-law it was a seamstress for many years and I knew that if I ripped my clothes, if, well, if you cut the clothes, they could be fixed sometimes. But if you tore them, it's a lot harder to mend it. There's something almost irreversible about this idea of tearing. And yet this idea of tearing is so powerful through this story. So Joseph's looking for something and they tear their clothes. It's not the first place in this story we see clothes being torn. Reuben, in chapter 37, verse 29, when he hears that, uh, when he goes and looks in the pit and Joseph is no longer there, he tears his clothes. Jacob, when he hears the story, he sees the, the, the technicolor coat. He sees a coat of many colors and it's uh, got blood on it. He tears his clothing as well. Joseph, when he's trying to get away from Potiphar's wife, there's this sense of her holding on and there's this tearing away. The passage says, you tore away. And then finally, all the brothers tear their clothes. Something really powerful about this idea. So what is this tearing about? Well, Joel uh, chapter two, verse 13, gives us a little bit of an insight into what the tearing of clothes was all about. It says in Joel two thirteen, it says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Or so in some verses, some, um, some versions it'll say, Tear your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So, what is this idea of tearing? The idea of tearing is this idea of um, repentance or sorrow or grief. And it was how the custom of the time was when something happened that was just heartbreaking. But then later in, in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel says, actually, what God's looking for is not clothes that are torn. He's looking for hearts that are torn. And Joseph, I think in this passage, is walking this really dangerous game of wanting to see repentance in his brothers. And sometimes that can be, we can, we can try and do that as well. And that can be a really dangerous game. But when he sees that repentance. I'm not going to steal the story, the rest of the story, because next week someone will speak on chapter 45. But something changes when Joseph sees repentance come, when he sees the clothes being torn. The question I guess I want to ask and leave with us today is this. Are our hearts offended? Are our hearts offended? Sometimes uh, we will be offended at all sorts of different things. We will be offended at our government. Um, I I see people angry with our government all the time, and it doesn't matter whether it's one party or the other. Uh, There's this almost constant thing of our our government can't get it right. And I think when we're like that and offended our government, there's something in our heart that really blocks us from being people of transformation. Maybe Maybe we're offended at our pastors, and that's so easy to happen they say something or do something or or we're not favoured or something and our hearts become offended. Maybe we are offended at our parents. Maybe they did something or they didn't do something and we've lived our whole lives with a little bit of offence in our heart. Maybe it's at hoarders. Maybe you're upset this week that people have gone into the supermarkets and taken way too much stuff that they should. And instead of And our response for that is like, we really get angry and offended at those people. Maybe it's social media trolls. Maybe it's uh, atheists who don't love the church. Maybe whatever, whatever, whatever. The list can go on and on and on. But what happens in our hearts is that offense has the power to move us from being advisors to adversaries. It really does. Or vice versa. Not having offense in our hearts can move us from being adversaries to advisors, And we see this powerful thing in Joseph's life where he is an advisor, but he's playing a dangerous game where he struggles with this idea of offense and will he forgive? He sees repentance and he's renewed again this heart of Joseph, which is all about uh, forgiving his brothers for being in the pit, um, forgiving Potiphar and his wife for throwing him in jail, forgiving uh, the other people in jail who forgot about him, all the way along this idea of him forgiving and not holding offence and him struggling with this. Offence is a trap and often we set it for others, but we end up being the ones caught in it. And Jesus is the one who can spring us from the trap. And the reality is this, if we wanna be a church that does actually transform our nation, God wants to take us to places where we advise us to people in authority. He wants us to be the the ones who have the wisdom for the decision makers. And we can never sit in that place if we have offense sitting in our hearts. We will always be the adversary, not the advisor. Jesus wants to come and spring you from the trap today and, and take you and transform you from that place of offense to that place of forgiveness and freedom so that you can rise in influence in whatever sphere God's put you in and that you can change this nation this week, this month, this year. As a nation, we're facing a crisis like we haven't in a hundred years. And this is an opportunity for God's people to rise like we've never risen before, to throw off every form of offense, to be the advisors and and the wisdom bringers that God wants us to be. And, and my question to you today is, will you join the church as it rises into this place? Do away with offense. Do away with a heart that is hard and allow Jesus to spring you from that trap. I'm gonna pray right now. I would love to pray for you. And wherever you are right now, you might be in a lounge room. You might be in a cafe. You might be in your bedroom. I wanna encourage you to join me right now. And maybe, uh, maybe you've got the opportunity just to lift your hands heavenward and say, you know what? As I hear your voice today, Matt, there I know there's a fence in me. And if I was to go face to face with that person or that group or that church or that politician or whatever it is, I know there'd be something stirred in me today. And I want to be free from that so I can be the advisor and, and, the, and the history changer and, and an advisor to the nation. I want to rise into the calling that God's put on me today. Well, I'd love to pray with you today. And, and just believe that Jesus can spring the trap for you today. Father, I want to thank you for every person who can hear my voice. Every person, whether they be in a lounge room, whether they be in a cafe, whether they be on the other side of the planet. And Father, you see our hearts and you see whether they're bound up with offense and the idea of trying to bring revenge or justification or vindication. And you want us today to just ask for a pure heart. So I pray right now, Jesus, that you would come and help every single person to spring the trap today of offence and that you would move every single one of us from being adversaries to advisors. In Jesus' name, amen.